Hello, this is Dr. Saleh, uh, one of the St. Mary Mercy uh, Chief Residents, here with one of our esteemed attendings, Dr. Mike Monty, who will be going over an interesting case with us today. All right. Thanks, Adib. Appreciate you having me. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about a case I had recently, and uh, we can kind of jump right into it. I had a 78-year-old male um, coming in via EMS, and the complaint was for generalized weakness. Uh, the HEMS radio call came over for just that, 78-year-old male with generalized weakness. Um, his blood pressure on scene was reportedly 90 over 60 with a heart rate in the 150s. Um, he was reportedly satting well on a non-rebreather and they were about three to five minutes away. So the decision was made to start this gentleman off in the trauma bay just because of the abnormal vital signs and the vagueness of the story. So on EMS arrival, they wheel a not necessarily ill-appearing gentleman into the trauma bay, and we attempt to get a little bit more history from him. Um, unfortunately, family members are not present. There is no medication list. He's coming from home, and this gentleman is a very poor historian and is unable to provide really anything other than the fact that he hasn't felt well for the past two to three days. And, you know, at this point, how would you kind of approach this patient mm -hmm. deep? So, I mean, kind of like the St. Mary's special, you know, older gentleman, just weak, not the best historian. You know, I think you guys, obviously the good thing to get him in the trauma bay because the situation is not very clear um, his vital signs were kind of in the gray area um, the big thing is kind of you know what do I see when I walk in the room is this guy looking like super sick is something someone I need to get things going on really quickly or do I have time to figure things out with family and medications and all that this guy sounds like a more urgent situation uh, with some kind of very soft blood pressure and uh, what was it what was the rhythm you got on the on the patient? So we immediately, I mean, I guess the way we started this patient was uh, the mantra IVO2s monitor, yep. uh, IVO2s and monitor. Um, we put defibrillator pads on him and obtained a set of vitals. His initial vitals actually, he had received 500 cc's in route. Um, so his initial vitals were 115 over 70, mm. heart rate of 168, uh, temperature was 98.2, and he was setting 96% on two liters and with a respiratory rate of 18. Um, we obtained an EKG right off the bat, which showed uh, atrial fibrillation with rapid ventricular response and some diffuse <coughs> ST segment depressions, kind of more in the inferior lateral distribution. Um, no overt ST segment elevations, but definitely a narrow complex irregular tachycardia. Um, we were also fortunate to get a very quick uh, uh, stat portable chest x-ray which was pretty unremarkable there was some vascular congestion and maybe some cephalization of the vesicles on the initial um, on the initial in-room read um, and that's kind of what we were working with is an AFib RVR it seemed like blood pressure was okay at the moment and the chest x-ray showed a little bit of pulmonary edema yeah. and I mean, it sounds, again, I mean, our classic teaching, you know, ABCs, you know, IVO2 monitor, 
kind of like a SimLab, you know, situation, uh, how we start all of our cases, and, it, and kind of give it a, initially, kind of a straightforward picture of AFib with RVR, hypotensive patient with some exactly. congestive heart <coughs> failure, which a lot of times puts us in a tricky situation, like, you know, we want to give rate control medication, but we also um, don't want to tank the pressure further. Um, and then you can't give the guy too much fluid because it sounds like he's in a little bit of congestive heart failure. So it's a definitely like a catch-22 situation. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in knowing how you guys troubleshoot the situation and how he ends up doing. So that's exactly, I mean, that's exactly the position we we're in. We didn't really know his history. We, just, we know that he, he did say, yes, I have a history of AFib. He didn't really give us much else. I believe he told us he had hypertension, um, didn't know his med list. And kind of no reported history of CHF, but clinically with the lung findings and on physical exam, he was he had some moist skin. He was tachycardic. He appeared very clamped down in the in his uh, peripheral extremities. Um, he had some kind of scattered ronchi and bibasal rails, but he was alert, no focal deficits. So we kind of elected to treat this as an AFib RVR and maybe hope to slow him down. That which would maybe improve his um, perfusion. And that was our strategy was a, we implored a rate control strategy. Um, and in order to do that before we actually gave him a little bit more fluid, we gave him in 250 aliquots. Um, so we ended up giving him a total of 500 cc's on top of the 500 he got from EMS. His blood pressure was hanging around the 110 to 120 systolic range and um, so we gave the 0.25 mg per kg bolus of Cardizem with a plan to start him on the drip. Um, there, immediately after pushing the bolus, he, his heart rate did improve a little bit, uh, he, down into the maybe 140 to 160 range as opposed to 160, 180 range. Mm -hmm. um, however, his blood pressure didn't maintain. Um, he ended up getting more and more hypotensive in the anywhere from the high 70s to low 90s systolic mentation didn't really change but then you know we were kind of looking for other options and we're doing a little bit of chart stalking and come to find out this gentleman has a very extensive history um, at that time we, we discovered that he has this history of pretty severe non-ischemic cardiomyopathy diabetes hypertension um, AFib that we knew about um, and actually was admitted to St. Mary's a few months ago f at, for a very similar presentation and had a whole slew of complications including um, a cardiac arrest post uh, TEE cardioversion um, as well as some very unfavorable uh, side effects to digoxin. He became digitoxic during his stay. Um, he had some issues with amiodarone as well. So he was pretty complicated. Um, and so now we're at the point where we have a gentleman with marginal blood pressure, it's persistently tachycardic AFib RVR, um, and this known history. So we're kind of, we, at that point, we thought it was a good idea to uh, ask for help. We called his cardiologist and who was familiar with the case from a few months ago because it was a pretty unique situation. Mm. And the cardiologist actually uh, recommended either amio 
or cardioversion. He said one or the other. He had kind of difficulty with both during the last admission. Yeah. Um, we spoke with the intensivist and recommended cardioversion, and so we kind of went ahead with that strategy. Yeah. And um, did did you have any like hesitation with just cardioverting right off the bat before even calling calling cardiology before you know going through this? I know it's a complex presentation. What would be the reasoning not to just go ahead and cardiovert the guy right off the bat? You know, the there was discussion kind of right after we did the cardiogram, like, oh, look, his blood pressure's not doing well. This is becoming more of an unstable situation, and cardioversion is indicated. However, his mentation didn't really change. He was, you know, he had a 10 to 20 drop in his systolic blood pressure. So, and given the history of this cardiac arrest post-cardioversion, it was a little disconcerting. We're like, is there another strategy we could implore? There was, we actually, we're talking about maybe trying a vasopressor, uh, some, maybe some phenylephrine to, in the help to uh, better perfuse the coronaries and kind of augment his blood pressure while we continue to try a, a rate control strategy. There was a, a lot of talk of all those different options um, ultimately, we didn't want his blood pressure hanging around in the in that 90, 80 to 90 systolic range. Yeah. So we went with the cardioversion, um, synchronized 200 joules. We did give him a um, little bit of push-dose phenylephrine prior to that to kind of maximize yeah. the shock. Um, he's got this history of chronic AFib. We, our concern was that we're going to shock him. He's not going to come out of it. Um, yeah, yeah, just for the listeners, it's phenylephrine, why it's good with AFib with RVR is it doesn't give you that chronotropy, it gives you that vasoconstriction, helps improve your pressure um, without having to worry about, uh, you know, that revving up that uh, rapid rate. Yeah, so that's what we did. We actually, to good effect, uh, we got the blood pressure up um, in that 110 systolic range, and then actually we're able to give a little, a, um, a small dose of atomidate to facilitate the, the cardioversion without, you know, making it too detrimental to this this poor guy. Um, and we cardioverted, and we immediately after, he did have a brief episode of asystole, followed by this kind of profound bradycardia where his heart rate was in the 20 to 30 range. It was slowly coming up. He did have a pulse after, I mean, the, the asystole period was electrical asystole, and that was a period of maybe five to ten seconds more scary for us as we see a flat line on the monitor and then we cardioverted him he then was in sinus bradycardia um and blood pressure was like 80 over 60 so then we we have basically a case of cardiogenic shock in a way and yeah. post cardioversion so we decided to start him on a dopamine drip and he improved wonderfully he was his blood pressure was in the 120 his heart rate went up to like 60 and uh, normal sinus his blood pressure was 120 over 80 range he, he was he actually was maintaining better we actually didn't realize how poor his mentation was we thought he was just a bad historian he was kind of like just vague and no big deal but his mentation definitely improved and um we sent him up to the icu on a uh dopamine drip and yeah, it was kind of a. Ultimately, uh, did well. Yeah, he did really well. It was it was interesting. We kind of a lot of, lot of. Thought went into it, and there was a lot of different approaches that we could have 
implored. Um, there were definitely some take-home points from that. I, I think that the no, if I would have known maybe that he had this really bad uh, non-ischemic cardiomyopathy, I think maybe we would have avoided uh, any negative inotropic drugs, for instance, calcium channel blockers or beta blockers, because in patients who are in the setting of underlying CHF or um, cardiogenic shock patients or in this like kind of pre pre-shock phase, um, early beta blocker use has been shown to increase the chance that they actually go into fulminant cardiogenic shock. So in that case, you're better off imploring a either rhythm control strategy, um, and that kind of brings in amiodarone, less likely procainamide and lidocaine because those can have vasodilatory and okay. um, negative anotropic effects, or just electrical cardioversion. Um, and then also in a gentleman with cardiogenic shock, which is in this instance seems to be an arrhythmic form with maybe you know some concomitant cardiomyopathic form. Um, vasopressors and kind of the selection of those is also an yeah. interesting thing and dopamine seem to work very well for us and dopamine and levofed are our first line in those kind of instances. Or dobutamine uh, can also that would be a good choice. Um, no, I think these are always like the tougher cases. Never a clear picture. You've got multiple things going on, um, especially the case you know classic heart failure, AFib, um, and just trying to balancing out the pressure. And you know when do you decide to pull the trigger on cardioversion? Um, but it ultimately, it seems like you guys you know troubleshoot the situation well and. He comes out all right, so. Um. Yeah, he's actually doing great. I uh, was had the opportunity to um, review his chart a little bit afterwards, and he's been doing very, very well. And he's on a sounds like a an optimal medical regimen, and he's doing yeah. great. So. I think that's what we went through with eight years of schooling and training, so we can step back and troubleshoot and make these big decisions and uh, end up saving lives. So uh, appreciate you taking the time. Dr. Monty, uh, as always, this was an educational experience. Um, until next time.